Welcome to this week's episode of Birthright Living Legacy Podcast, where we share the stories of fatherhood and their effects because there's no manual. We are here to learn from each other as we build our fatherhood playbook. Now welcome your host, Marquis and Crystal Dennis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is my esteemed pleasure to not introduce my amazing wife. She is not here right now, but... Oh, oh yeah. We want to say we thank the light-skinned wonder for being able to take care of the youngster. But we want to say thank you guys for sharing and being a part of the podcast. Uh, make sure that you check out our website. We got any up-and-coming events that are going to be happening. We just did our park crawl yesterday with my next guests. I can't wait to introduce them. You guys are going to love them. I love them. But ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. We have Miss... Joya, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Joya Cleveland here as the manager of Strong Tomorrows. She has one child and focusing on education and making sure to impact those in the next generation. And then we have Matthias Wicks Jr., who is a fatherhood coordinator. And ladies and gentlemen, they are doing terrific work. They are both single and just really focusing on making sure that they get a chance to impact the next community. Give them a round of applause. Oh, We have like 15 people here in the audience. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. This is your chance to talk. Yeah. Hey, thank you for having us. Yes. Y'all looking at me Honor like... Honored to be here. Y'all looking so at me like... I'm excited to get into this. Let's get into it. <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay, so in Birthright Living Legacy fashion, we like to know our favorite part. So what was your favorite part? I'll ask you, Joya, because we don't get very many women. Yes. What is your favorite part about being your father's daughter? Oh, my. I think one of the favorite parts about being my father's daughter would have to be my love of all things aquatic. Um, he was a deep sea diver. And so I remember swimming before I remember walking. And I don't know what all occurred. But yes, I remember wanting to be a mermaid when I was little. <laughs> Shout out to um, Ariel. Shout so, out. <laughs> I remember the water more than I remember land when I was little. Really? Yes. Wow. That I, this is, you, You're the first person I think I've ever met that had a parent or anyone that was a deep sea diver. Where, where did you guys grow up in Tulsa? He grew up in Belize, Central America. That makes sense. Cause I was like, what, what Keystone is not that deep. <laughs> We're talking Central America. She said, this is real. The, the, the real ocean. We, we deep sea diving, not deep sea diving, not, not water diving. Yes. For clarification. <laughs> so yes. that's awesome. Okay. Matthias got to know what's your favorite part about being your father's son. I, mean, I think my favorite part, be my father's son is the fact that he inspired me to be a protector because mm. I have three sisters which you know growing up I was like I've always wished I had a big brother or mm -hmm. a little brother but I think that one thing I got from my dad was just being a protector and how important it is especially just as being a man yeah I think that's like the biggest thing I got from my dad I love it. And, I love and it. still get it. Still get I'm going to move your mic up because, you know, you, you know yeah. <laughs> we need to hear you. We need to hear you. Okay. So uh, these these guys are running a phenomenal program. Um, and, you know, we love to be able to partnership with other, uh, you know, programs and things that are going on, especially around fatherhood. So give us the spiel of what Strong Tomorrows is, what your purpose is, and how you guys go about doing that. 
Absolutely. So Strong Tomorrow's is a program here in Tulsa, and we right now are embedded in Tulsa Public Schools, and we serve all expectant and parenting students, and we want to make sure that the emphasis is on the family. So we both serve moms and dads, and we're a two-gen program, so we also make sure that our clients are also their children, making sure they have access to resources within the community to be stronger individually and stronger together for the next generation. And we focus on making sure that there's a health and wellness aspect to their life, mm -hmm. as well as college and career readiness, graduation, and making sure they have access to quality childcare here in Tulsa area. Wow. That is a mouthful. <laughs> that is awesome. So in other words, they're doing everything they can. And, and a little bit extra. And you're the fatherhood advocate, right? Yes, sir. Do you yes, take sir. care of the mom side of it, or does there someone else that does that? You do both? I do both. Fantastic. So, yeah, so for right right now I'm doing both. Okay. Um, But uh, eventually well, there will be a point to where I will be moving to doing more focused work with dads. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's definitely that. that's the, that's the, the criminal crop right there with the position. But, yes, I'm, I am serving both. I love it. So what was it that, that really got you guys inspired to be involved with this program? I think the thing that inspired me, I am a daughter of a teenage mom, mm -hmm. and understanding the struggle coming up with some of the things my mother went through, when I heard about Strong Tomorrows, I definitely wanted to be involved, because I do think that that is an underserved population and a vulnerable population, and do my part in the community to make sure that they have access to resources, and that their needs are elevated in such a place that they are not a vulnerable population forever. And so I think any time that you have a real care and concern and passion about a specific population, population, do your part individually to make sure collectively it's helped as a community level. And so my passion with Strong Tomorrow is also to increase the knowledge and awareness of, you know, the plight of teenage pregnancy and how it needs to be helped and supported within the Tulsa area and also within our our nation eventually. But right now, yeah. we'll, we'll take care of Oklahoma. We'll just take care of Oklahoma. And you guys are in the high schools, right? Mm -hmm. Do you only serve as high school? No. So we're actually, we're, we're in some middle schools too. We are Where? Schools. Wait, there's a yeah. need? There's a need in middle schools, too. Can you talk to us about that? Because <laughs> the, the, the reason why I, I, I really want to bring this up is because, you know, people like to objectify our communities of, of, of fatherhood and really trying to help. They say they want to help, but really they're just trying to get numbers. But they don't really understand, like, the need. You know, like, one of the statistics that just really rocked my world was that you're seven times more likely to be a teen pregnant if you didn't have a father figure involved. And so that blew my mind that, one, they're tracking that, and then, two, that they know how to stop it, but nobody cares, you know, except for people like us, obviously. Um, but so, so how often do you guys find someone in the middle school arena uh, that is needing of services. So they're the minority of our numbers. Okay. They're not the majority. I would say possibly within every school year, we have maybe one or two. Okay. So it's not a high reach number, but they're definitely there. And I think the frame of mind that you have to have with teen pregnancy is as long as they're within that age range and are sexually active, they're liable to become mm -hmm. a teen parent. So I think the whole conversation has to also include preventative measures mm -hmm. because I think whenever you talk about any um, issue you have to have intervention and prevention as part of the conversation to really make true impact come on now intervention and prevention so you know I, I have a lot of followers and a lot of friends that are in the Christian community of course they want to just slap the Bible verse on it and say don't do it 
which we know in high school, middle school, I could care less about how you feel about that. So what are some of the preventative things that you guys help um, outside of that kind of a, a mindset? Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but that doesn't fit for everybody's situation. Uh, so some of the, what are some of the things that you guys are able to uh, help those, you know, those young people with uh, to help them prevent and, and, and you know, be educated because it's really about education and being able to help. I, you know, I, I was a, uh, I will say a horrible teen because, you know, people talk to me about condoms and all that stuff. And I just, it seemed like it was a whack thing to do at the time. And now I have three kids outside of marriage and it sucks, you know, because child support is no joke. Uh, but you know, of course, looking back now that I have the, uh, the, uh, the, the pains and the woes 20, 30 years later, it's like, man, I wish I would have listened. But, you know, it's like, is, are there new preventative managing? Do you, do you guys find that there's like a psychological connection to helping uh, with that stuff? Because for me, you know, rap music was Snoop Dogg and them ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. All that stuff was yeah. new when we were coming out. So it just seemed like, oh, well, this is the way to go. Versus now you'll hear rappers talking about wearing condoms and things like that to promote safe sex. So anyway, uh, what are some of the preventative measures and things that you guys are able to help these teens with as they're working through their issues? We usually um, we really use a tier approach, mm -hmm. a multi-tier approach when we work with the students in the schools. And tier one aspect would be general population, everybody in the school. So we really do open our offices up to be a student-friendly mm -hmm. and student-centered place so that anyone, whoever is not even a parent or even thinking about becoming a parent, mm. they come into the office because we have the most wonderful staff available <laughs> within all the school building. Hey. We have the bond snacks that are provided Come on now. and we also have literature we're very intentional about our approach mm -hmm. and so whenever you walk into a strong tomorrow's office you're going to have pamphlets and information about teen clinics here in the local area that are mm -hmm. free to teens that they can go get checked out get some more information we have information about lark and we get this information from our lo local partners such as amplify which helps with our sex education at tps we get this information from tci take control initiative that has information within oh our, yeah yes we funny have story i literally just ran into a lady from tci at the apple store we They're were talking amazing. she saw my shirt yes. and was like Wait a minute. Let me. T I need to talk to you yes. about what's going on. And I. So she was helping me with my earbuds. That was why I was late. It's because we were good. just in there rocking. And she was like, "I'm over at TCI." I was like, "Oh, well, we need to connect. Here's my info. Let's rock." But anyway, go ahead. You do, you do. But what I'm saying is, with our tiered approach, we make sure that we have reach within our community partners within our office because we realize and recognize that we cannot be the only voice. That we have community partners that are very invested in making sure there's preventative measures that are given out to our students and Matthias can talk about the workshop he does wonderful workshops but having that resource and access to the students that are not just parents are also very important because mm -hmm. we may have some students that are not thinking about sex pick up some of those um, pamphlets or possibly just drop into the office and talk to our case managers and fatherhood coordinator and ask those questions mm -hmm. building relationship building rapport and having access to resource is part of prevention come on now hold right. on hold on hold on you just brushed past those three <laughs> i need you to hit me with those three again building relationship yes building rapport building rapport having access to information come resources. On. I mean, I just, I, I just really want i mean i know that's a part of your everyday life but there's people out there that don't realize like you can't give me anything 
unless you've learned about me as a person. Right. You know, I don't trust you to take your pamphlet and read it if you don't have that rapport with me. And obviously, if you're just giving me your conjecture and your opinion all the time, right. I, you know, it's going to fall on deaf ears. So I love that you guys have that as a part of your thing. But go ahead, Matthias, tell us about, so what are some of the workshops that you do? So for some of them, it's, it's, I know what started with me with how I like to start workshops is one, we talk about beer rapport. No, I want to. I want to know what what it is that you like because if I like, we can offer things, different workshops. But if it doesn't speak to your need or your situation, it's probably not gonna help you. Mm-hmm. So I like to start workshop. A lot of workshops are like, give me a whole list of the things that you like to do, or what's something that you're looking forward to when it comes to this program that you that 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 you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it kind of builds out from that. So the the rest of the year, however it looks like, it kind of builds out from that. So it can be for this person. This person might get this. Another person might say something that might say something that they need something like this. So it's kind of built up auto- automatically from the beginning. Nice. So, so it's like an a la carte based on the individual, right, right. as opposed to like a cookie cutter, one right. size fit all. Right. I love yeah. that approach. Right. That's you know with with birthright. You know we have our you know our curriculum that we go through. But the, the real magic happens when we sit down and say, all right, Dad, what's going on in fatherhood for you today? Right. You know, they might not have something or somebody might have something that we open to the floor. And just to see how dads are trading ideas and, and, and thoughts, it's just, it's just mind-blowing because I always find out something new. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I, I, you know, it's not for me, but that's an interesting perspective. So I kind of know because you guys, I, I know you guys are knee deep into the work and I love it. What is one of the things that really kind of surprises you about, you know, the, the, the parents, you know, as they're trying to uh, navigate, you know, life in high school and all that? I think it would have to be for me. Their resilience. Mm. I think a lot of times the stigma around teen parents is that they are troubled youth and, oh, this poor little teen parent. If mm. you met some of them, the things that they deal with successfully that some adults can't manage yeah. is awing. They are handling a full school load. They're handling raising a child. And many of our students don't have the support that we would love for them to have at home. A strong home base leads to success. So for a lot of our students who don't have a strong home base and to still be successful, raise their baby proudly with all access and resources that, you know, they can take advantage of and have good grades. And some of them play sports. Amazing. And some of them also hold down jobs. Yeah. So when you see all of that coupled together, they amaze me. They really do. So do you guys ever talk to the parents of the parents? Yes. What is that conversation like? Do you do you find yourself like trying to counsel them to help them understand like, hey, you can't, it's already too late to kind of push your ideas on the kid. Like we're, we're here. So how, how, what is, what is that interaction like? Are they usually, I mean, cause you said something about not them not having the support they need. I mean, and I run into this with full grown men where, you know, sometimes they're single fathers or sometimes, you know, they're trying to get in and they don't have that support system or never had. So they're really trying to navigate that and the pressures and the woes of the world. So what is it like uh, as you're dealing with the parents of these new parents? Absolutely. I think it's important to have Mm buy-in from their home base and for the parents to understand what role we play 
within the program. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of navigating life is understanding your role and your purpose. And that also goes for our program. So letting the parents know, yes, your child, if they continue to come to school, get good grades, they're going to get items from our program, which we call baby bonus bucks, because it's a strength-based incentive program Mm -hmm. so that we're not just having our students feel entitled to getting the items that they can get, but that you can go ahead and earn this from what you are doing Mm -hmm. to support yourself and your child. So we do that, but talking to the parents and letting them understand the aspect and foundation of our program and what we're also looking for them. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for you to encourage your child to go to school. I'm looking for you that if your child and we're going through safe sleep practices for you not to encourage your child, it's okay. Just let them go in the bed with you. We (laughs) all do that because part of the work that we do that I feel is very powerful is that we have no problem with challenging culture because sometimes culture is the problem that it's like, in, it's, <laughs> you have to sometimes challenge it because sometimes it's a vicious cycle. Part of the reason we're in a predicament is because no one challenged the culture and say, mm-hmm. hey, this is maybe what you do, but this isn't the best thing you can do. And this is how we can go ahead and change for the future. So you helping us that when we give your child information that is foundational and research backed, mm-hmm. then you support that. So if your baby and your child, your daughter comes in and says, mom, they said that I really need to have the baby in the bassinet at night. I can't do that for you to support the information that they're bringing home to right. you or come talk to us so we can educate There's you that. There's you that. know what i mean because like a lot of parents you know we grew up in that weird era like you know as parents uh you know your son is, is about as old as my kid so we re- we grew up in that era of we didn't have google to challenge our parents come on and now they can just be like no that's not true look it says right here and then just hold the phone in your face and and trust like trust and consistency um i don't I, you know i would love for you to hear your thoughts on this uh but the trust and consistency is so important and that's one of the things that in or around fatherhood uh, a lot of these homes are are lacking just just consistency is understanding that you know you're going to do it the same way because if you don't your child, when they grow up, they won't have anything foundational to hold on to. You know, it's like if if as a dad, you know, one day I'm like, I'm selling all my woodworking equipment to buy new golf clubs for two weeks. And then after that, I'm into monster trucks. And yes, I, you know, I feel like I'm a rapper now. And it's like, wait, what? And then you just blow, you just completely blow past this person anytime they come about you with any kind of information. And so I love that you guys are making sure that, you know, parents are like, hey, listen, like your way might have been the way you did it, but we have come done on. some research and, you know, static. St- yeah, statisticians. No, that's not what it is. Is that what you call statistics? Stat- if you are a statistician, yeah. I okay. applaud you, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am not. I I like to see. So, like, I, I tell people I'm like the basketball guy. I'm the highlight guy. Okay. I'm not going to watch the game. I could care less about the game. But if you show me a dude getting dunked on, another guy breaking his leg, another dude, I'm in. I'll, I'll watch all that all day. But if you want me to watch them do that until the moment I may see the dude dunk, I'm not interested. So I would love for you to, because you got your, your, your page in front of us. I sure do. You have some, st- <laughs> some stats that you wanted to share. So tell us, you know, as you're in this work, I know you're doing some, uh, some, some work as far as figuring out nationally as well as locally. Um, but give us some information around, in or around fatherhood that you're tracking, that you guys are following, uh, that helps you with your work right now. I love that you said that because within our organization, we are very Mm data-driven. And every year, 
what I think that sticks out to me is the highest rate of our students are from the black and brown community. Mm. And the majority of our students are the moms. We don't have an equal set of moms and dads we serve. And so when you look at the comparison of young parents to adults nationally within mm -hmm. our country, even Tulsa, as far as the information that I looked up, what we have and that I was really excited to come and speak about was we have a majority black single mom households and it also is stemming on the lower economic social economic side mm -hmm. and so i said what is the future of our country if we have young moms who are from the black and brown community that are single and then nationally we have statistics and i the one i love and i pulled is in 2020 there was 4.25 million black families in the united states that was run by a single woman Whoa. So that means 4.25 households without a dad in the home. Mm. And I think when I consider statistics like that and we operate with both parents in our program and we collaborate with community partners such as Birthright Living Legacy, we want to make sure that equal access is to both parents for a strong nucleus. Because I think that's something that is the foundation of every single society that is a healthy society is the emphasis on family within the communities. And so when you have an absence of the fathers, you have an absence of a strong core within the family unit and it also weakens the foundation of the community. Come on now. I I, I cannot. Oh, man. I just I, look. This is real applause. applause. I want you to get a real applause on that because honestly, that's 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 really what, what the the that's really what it's all about. I try to tell people all the time, you know, I don't care what your cause is. You could be saving the trees. Right. Or or, you know, you want to fight for ants rights, whatever the case is. You cannot tell me that you care about that over there if you don't care about the people in your home because it starts there. If you don't care about the people in your home, you can't care about your neighborhood, you can't care about your city, your block, your street, your whatever the case. You know what I mean? And so it's it affects everything, that ripple effect. And it's not to say that just because your family or you care about your family that it means you get along. That doesn't, that you know, not getting along is very healthy for you to be able to objectively think and to be able to stand on your own as you're making a difference in the world for That's whatever right. your cause is. But it doesn't mean that you degrade and demean the people that are a part of your family. And that's if she's your baby's mama, you chose her. You have to remember that you are responsible for your decision to do that. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be with her forever, but it does mean you have to treat her with respect because now your child has to be, you know, you can't, you can't force a child to hate a part of himself because if that happens or herself, then, then that now you've opened the door for all the other things. You know, when we get into the bad habits of, you know, drugs, alcohol, abuse, and all that other stuff comes in when a child doesn't have that foundation. And if we're all arguing to say that that is the most important part, the children are our future, as Whitney used to say, <laughs> then, you know, we got to really put in the work. Right. And, 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 and I find it really uh, interesting it's so funny to be, you know, the guy on the other side because I normally would be the guy that I was talking to because me 20 years ago was that guy. I was that kid where it was like, nah, man, blah, that's not that's not how you do that. It's her fault. Everything's her fault. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I just was a low, uh, you know, fellow that was taken advantage of <laughs> in society. I grew up in the hood. I didn't have a dad. And one of my mentors said to me and I, you know, I told him the other day, I said, you know, I was so mad at you for the longest when he said it. He was like, 
oh, yeah. I was like, bro, I don't know. Nobody told me how to be a dad. He goes, oh, yeah? He goes, were you born with that tie on? And I said, really? That's what you're you going to say? <laughs> I got up and walked out because I was like, that's not what my mom would say. That's not what some lady would say. They'd be like, oh, somebody should teach you. And he would, they would feel really sorry for me. But I learned that, you know, you have to be um, the man that you're called to be and do what is, what is required. And it's not easy. Raising kids are not, it's not easy. It's fun sometimes, but at the main po- the main focus has to be what is the best thing for the child. You know what I mean? So I love that. I love that. Any more stats? Anything else we got? What we got? Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We will get into it. That was the main one that I wanted to point out was a disproportionate with other ethnicities. Uh-huh. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about the families in America specifically, we don't want to bring it into a race thing, right? Because I think that can be overused and abused, always mm-hmm. pulling out the race card. But I think when we talk about within the black community and what has hit us the hardest, I would have to say the policies within America that have impacted the families directly. Yeah. Because no other race has the disproportionate statistics when we're talking about the achievement gap, when we're talking about the economic gap, when we're talking about the height of single families, the single mothers in the households. And so I think as a country, we have to look at what have we sown into that problem that Mm -hmm. now we are seeing these results and the numbers are where they're at. And it's really hard to pull back. And I did want to also talk about the impact of those policies here in America, things like housing issues that we experienced once there was the great migration, once we became like, what are we going to do in this country to greater ourselves and to go for a strength in economics, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to be in the South where there was Jim Crow era and we want to go ahead and rise above all that literally and rise above that Mason Dixon line and mm-hmm. go ahead and go get some jobs. What we were faced with was a whole bunch of housing policies that were put in place with redlining mm. where we weren't welcome into certain neighborhoods. We were faced with Issues coming from basically the government saying you can't live in certain areas. And some of the policies that even impacted the urban development with how families were even structured for the home is based on how much income is coming into the home. And so for two family households, the income level is usually higher. But if you're faced with not being able to get a federally backed loan to get into the house with the same income as a white family, that's going to reduce your chances for a home ownership economic growth, all of that. And so families have been directly impacted Mm -hmm. by racism in this country. And I think what we're seeing is the national impact with black families within this country, not being able to have that two family household. And let's not even what we will talk about the mass incarceration rate. We have the majority of our men incarcerated. We aren't the majority in the country, but the majority behind jails are black men. Mm. So when you have most of our men locked up, what does that mean when they are even faced when they're released? Coming to some of the urban home developments, some of the policies would be you can't have a violent federal um, charge, a felony on your record and coming into the housing development. So that meant many of the fathers couldn't return back to their homes Mm -hmm. from government standards and requirements. And also if they even had children, because what we've also found out with research is it isn't always the father figure, right? It can be an uncle. It can be a brother that usually holds down that paternal role within the household. So if you're talking about within the black community and many of the black men were separated from their family, that, that nucleus that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. That means even if a father chose not to play a part as father in their children's life and you had an uncle that wanted to step in or a big brother that wanted to model fatherhood, that means family separation was happening all across the board, not even just with paternal fathers. Right. Uh, 
You said a whole a whole spin. thing. Look, spin. spin. Look, I, I, you know, I felt like she might have done this once or twice. Yeah, right. I love it. I love it. You know what I'm saying? Look, we we glad. We happy. Hey, hey, I love it. You did it hey, over I'm, here. Hey, I'm I'm learning over here. I love I'm it. Like, listen, okay. So so <laughs> now that we brought mass incarceration up, I know that you wanted to, Matthias, talk a little bit about that. Uh, so 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 hit us with what you got for us. So I think the one thing that we're talking about policies that have affected absentee fathers. Mm-hmm. I think it really goes back to a lot of stuff. One, when I think policy, I think about I think about campaigns. I think about campaigns. I think about the war on drugs, which is AKA the war on the black community. Mm-hmm. It it couldn't have been said directly as that because then people could say. Yes, it is directly racist. I mean, it was um, right. Yeah. Oh, it's it's, it's absolutely. I mean, you know, but it's, I, the, it's the it's the it's the terms. Look, yes. what's funny is it, if you've ever watched Snowfall, <laughs> they tell you the freeway Ricky Ross story. It's so funny. But go ahead. But, but no, but no, but absolutely. But I think when we're talking about that, like even before that, it goes back to, which is I think was all rooted what happened back in 1704, and what happened in 1704. I'm glad you asked. Was that the fact that? Yeah, I was hoping um, to ask. Like, what's seventeen oh four? So back in seventeen oh four, what? So what? What people? What, what we all know as modern modern day policing mm-hmm. was actually had it traces back to the slave patrol. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about policing, there's always been a negative, and I'm, I'm trying to find like the the nastiest words to use to to, to kind of explain the relationship between black men and police officers. So it's mm-hmm. always been rooted since seventeen oh four. Mm. And it's something that's never, it, it didn't start in the black community by black folk. It started with a lot of police officers because, again, again, it goes back to the slave patrol. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're talking about why absenteeism is so prevalent in the black community, I think because it starts with that. But it's, it's, and it's always about the relationship. And, you know, what we're looking at is like when, when, we're, when we're trying to encourage black men to kind of re- to, to be the lead in restoring mm-hmm. a relationship that was never meant to be good in the first place, it's hard to encourage that. So it's like, how 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 can we do that? Mm-hmm. But it's also about trying to get the people that actually are police officers that actually love their job, but they're also not just trying to police, but they're also, their job is to protect. But we have too many officers that are in the profession that don't want to protect. It's about policing. Because again, it goes back to, back to the slave patrol. I think there's a lot of things that have been passed down. Even when we're going when we're going back to talk about the war on drugs, like it's with like the things like that that have kind of perpetuated since that time that leads up to like there's like a an agenda against it. Mm-hmm. But trying to again trying to get back to how can we develop and how can we um restore a relationship that was never meant to be good in the first place. And I think that always goes back to when we're talking about inca- the, the incarceration so, rates. So what's the what's the end goal? Like, so a lot of times the issue that you're having when you're trying to explain this to people that don't experience it, right, is, well, why would they do that? You know, what is the, what is the gain? So what are some of the things that these systemic uh, things like redlining or the policing, what are some of those things that are uh, benefiting, I guess, the other side that would cause them to even want to be involved in that process. Because, you know, when, uh, one of the things is, is like, you know, I, lot of, I know a lot of police, uh, black, white, brown, the whole thing. And so it's hard for some people to, um, to marry the two, 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you're talking about 1704. It's like nobody was alive back then. So how 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 today does a, a Hispanic, you know, uh, police officer still own up to that? Or how does a, a, a black cop still own up to Like what is the benefit? Because I know it's not the individual that we're talking about. We're talking about the system. Right. So what is the, the what is the benefit for... Uh, the government or whoever has put these things into play that benefits disproportionately for the black and brown communities that are that are in play with this with this kind of stuff. That's a good question. I have the same question. I I, I really don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that, that's a that's that's honestly a hard question to ask or answer because mm-hmm. you know I I I, got, I think it kind of just goes back to why why were there slaves in the first place? I think that's kind of like the like another question we talk about like what like what what benefits mm-hmm. them. Free labor. I mean, free labor. Free, free labor. Yeah. It's so the same thing with incarceration. And it's, you know. It's I, I, I think it's the same thing with, with, with the incarceration. Like, how are they benefiting off this? Because when we talk about the prison system, is a big business. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the answer, honestly. Oh, yeah. I, I think. Oh, I, it, it is a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, talking to somebody that's been in the prison system. So, yeah. um, being that I've been in there and I know how much it costs for some coffee, it is, uh, yeah, it's super big business. Yeah. And for you to be able to only have, I think it's a max of three sixty a month uh, that we could spend. Um, yeah, it was it was vicious. You know what I mean. And then to find out that like the Bushes and the Carries and the you know all these political figures that are saying that they're fighting for our injustices, they're the ones that are benefiting because right. they sell the stuff. You right. know, it's four dollars for six ounces of coffee, and you're right. like, really. Like, really? Yeah. Like, I was already broke when you, you know what I mean? I was out there hustling, and then now you're going to, okay, that's right. You're right. I'm wrong. Um, but so one of, the st- one of the things that was interesting uh, when you talk about these systems is uh, somebody j- just kind of said it in comment the other day, and I was just like, wow, that makes perfect sense. He said, you know, a lot of people are putting the focus on the parents. You know, it's like, oh, black men or white, you know, whatever the, the, the your ethnicity, but they put it on the parent. But it's really about your child, because if you look at this, if let's just say, for instance, right, you guys represented a family, her son, uh, you guys are married. Right. So if you're not working and or if you are working, we can be both sides and then you're working. Who's watching him? Who's taking care of him? You know, now. You have completely lost what we like to call the control of the objective thinking of your child. And so that's why I love the program that you guys are running because you are a positive uh, interaction that that child can get in school where you're not overly bombarded, where you're like teaching a class like everybody else, uh, where you've got 60, 70 kids you couldn't possibly you know, uh, impact because it's too much. It's too much for anyone and no, no shade to the teachers. It's just the way that the system is set up, especially in the the communities where we're underprivileged. Mm -hmm. You do, you have larger classrooms, you have shorter times because you're just trying to get people in and out. And so with that mentality of thinking, okay, if I can keep mom isolated, if I can keep dad isolated, then that means I have control over the child. And if I have control over the child, when you look at things like Disney, where Disney is teaching your child to always challenge the parent because the parent's an idiot, then you start to run into, well, is that true? 
And they have social media where they can get on and have 50,000 people say, yeah, your mom or your dad is probably an idiot. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. And because they might have endorsements, they might have the life that the kid thinks that they want to live. Then they're like, well, I'm going to follow this guy because this guy has a Ferrari. I want a Ferrari, so I will clearly do that, whatever that may be. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting to me uh, when we talk about these different types of stats and these things that are really affecting us as a community. Because when we start talking about, um, you know, the stats, the, the, the thing that shocks me the most about stats is that they know it's a thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that somebody has sat down and proved over time with a formula, this is a thing. A plus B equals C every time. Matter of fact, every time in 6.3 or what was that number? 23 million or something? It is 4.25 million. 4.25 million times that I've proven that this is a true statement. That if this is happening, then that is happening. And so when we look at like redlining, like I didn't even really understand redlining until a couple of years ago. And it's like, you. so you're telling me that the same house that I build over here is worth less because I built it on this dirt, but it's the same builders, same material, same house, same specs, same everything, but it worth less because black and brown people own it. Like that was a trip to me to know that they would devalue mm -hmm. your home. And people started putting up pictures of, you know, other families of different cultures so they could get a higher appraisal on their home. I was like, what? Why would you need to do that? But they say, oh, because, you know, this is happening. It must be cheaper or it must be worth less. And when you have those kinds of things in systemic play like it oh, no wonder when you see a black or brown person you immediately are afraid or you're immediately taken aback to they they must be this way and like you were saying about the students where people are like oh they must be you know mm -hmm. uh, a careless teen or they must be but you're doing the same thing at your schools right. you know what i mean the right. difference is you have sometimes i mean obviously before now you had the resources to take care of that you might have been able to fly to another country so you could save face and say, oh, no, we didn't do that because it's not on record here. But you went somewhere else and got that taken care of, usually to a black or brown country, uh, but then come back and then throw shade because, oh, no, I'm better than, you know. And I think for me, I've, I've had a lot of um, I've had a lot of conversations in or around these topics because mm -hmm. my thing is, is just like when we start to see people as people like. You know, one of the, the, the statements that bother me the most is people say, I don't see color. I know you're lying right then. Right. Like, right. <laughs> it's at that moment I immediately stop listening because you're about to tell me something somebody told you you should probably say. Because if you don't see my color, you're either colorblind or you're an idiot. And mm -hmm. that's just not true. I don't want to believe that about you. What I want to believe you're trying to say is your color doesn't matter to me. But. That's rude in itself, because if your dad is from Central America, I should be able to see that. And I should be able to now appreciate, wow, so he was a deep sea diver. Tell me about that, because that's not something entirely in Tulsa that I could even fathom. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? But if I come in it with that appreciation for you having a different culture or a different background or a different understanding, now I have something to learn. 
And I, I can bring something to my son that I never would have before. When we're watching some kind of nautical, uh, you know, film, Aquaman or something, now I can talk intelligently because you told me about your dad's yes. story. You see what I'm saying? And so anyway, yeah, we'll get on a whole political thing uh, <laughs> if you let me. So, uh, but what else uh, is going on with you guys as far as uh, helping the, the, the young teen parents? I think with helping the young teen parents, one thing that we heavily promote is co-parenting and communication. Mm -hmm. I think with any age group, when you're talking about two people who are raising a child, those are going to be the two topics that you're going to have to emphasize because I think a lot of things can be misconstrued, misunderstand, and forgotten if you do not properly and appropriately communicate, regardless if you're with that person or not. So I know that's one thing that we really promote heavily within our program. What we've even done, we are not licensed counselors or therapists by mm -hmm. any point, um, but we can bring two parents who are not seeing eye to eye and help them understand what is common ground and what needs to change. Because I think whenever you're talking about parenting, the consideration of that child's future has to be key. And I think when we're talking about that, it has to be the generations that we wanna impact before us. We wanna make sure that this child has a healthy foundation and sees two parents who can get along and communicate on their best behalf. Mm. And so I know that's something within our program. And not all the time do we have the um, fortune to have both parents within our program, but even talking to one of the parents, whether it's the mom or the dad, letting them know the importance of communication and appropriate and proper co-parenting. That has been huge and very successful within our program. Nice. What are some of the resources that you guys uh, utilize to get that, um, get your program going? Was it, um, did you have a specialist come in? Did you guys just compile a bunch of good stuff or where, where, how did you guys develop this program? We're trained in a lot of curricula. And so two of the curricula that go over that is nurturing parenting. And that has come through the Tulsa Parent Center. We get trained in that and a lot of communication keys and co-parenting aspects are in that. And also being trained by Tulsa Health Department with Love Notes. And Love Notes is a healthy um, co-parenting and relationship um, curricula too that we go and go over and are trained so that we can give the information to our students about that. So having trained case managers is really important because you got to have resources. Mm -hmm. No matter how good you are and how long you've been in the field, resources and tools are going to be the name to the game because you need something that's going to be able to be exercised and practiced with the people that you are serving. Come on. I, I just love it. I love it. You get to work with her every day. Hey, this every is fantastic. Day. Every day. I feel like I'm going to have to call you every day at lunch <laughs> and be like, hey, so uh, give, me, give, me, give me something. I just need you to tell me something. Inspire me uh, with some glory. Because, man, you're, you're, you're a dynamite person. Like, on it. Hey, on it. That's one thing you know what I'm saying? She stays on it. What's stays funny is, it. like, you know, my wife is like this. You know, it's just like, here I am as a dad. I'm trying, you know, I got dad brain. So I think like a dude. And so... When I when I do things, she's always like, "Well, yeah, but this is," and I'll be like, hey, "Whoa, whoa, 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 I just wanted water, and that's as far as I've thought of it. Like where it came from, where you're gonna, I don't, you know." Yeah. So I love hearing your Thank your thought you. process. It's 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 helpful because this is really what it is. Is like you have to appreciate the 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 two gifts that have been given. You know, as a as a man and a woman, or a mother and a father, like you have to appreciate what both parents bring to the table because they're to. both absolutely vital to the child. 
You know what I mean? Because they can't develop properly until they understand the dynamic of, hey, I love these people, but I'll never be like them. Or I love these people, and this is why I do these things, and these things are great. Right. But people like me, I walked around wondering, huh, I wonder, was he like this? Was he like that? Was he like (laughs) this? And I had to change my story with every new person I met. And that was uh, problematic, you know, as a young man. Uh, because, like I said, I grew up in the 90s. So the 90s were a fun time. Uh, but, you know, I thank you guys for coming on. So please hit us with any last-minute information that you have. Uh, how do they find you if they have any questions, if they have teens, if they're in the Tulsa area, or they just want to pick your brain because they're doing something in Afghanistan, uh, and they say, hey, this is, this is something that I want to be interested in. How do they find you? Sure, you can go to Tulsa Public Schools and go to their website and just type in Strong Tomorrows and it'll bring you to our landing page and you'll have access to information about our program, contact information for me if you have more questions about Strong Tomorrows and also a referral link. If there's any youth that are in your community that may need some support within Strong Tomorrows, you can go ahead and do the referral link and we'll support them and help them. Love it. Matthias, how do they find you online? Same. Yes. Same way, same way. They go to Tulsa Public Schools? Tulsa Public yes. Schools, yes, Really? Yes. I thought you guys sir. had your own. You don't have your own Instagram? We do have Instagram. <laughs> oh, you weren't supposed to say that? We have Our Facebook, Facebook is uh, it's the ST. De- Look, we, we, we changed so I love that she was like, ah, no, don't say that. <laughs> but no, on um, Facebook, it's the uh, ST Daz, it's Strong Tomorrow's Daz, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's probably the best way to get me on online, outside of the TPS. I love it, I love it. Well... I'm gonna play this as often as possible. Listen, this this is this is actually a clip from a a, a TikTok video. Yes. And so I just had to steal it. But anyway, thank you guys for coming out. We're about to jump in the private fatherhood group, and we appreciate you guys for coming on the Birthright Living Legacy Show. Oh, it's just so good, man. Ah. Anyway, so follow us. Make sure to comment. Make sure to share with all your friends, and we will see you next time on the Birthright Living Legacy podcast. Uh, but we're going to let it break down one time. Uh. Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy, changing lives one father at a time.